Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast. First one of December, December 1st, 2017. Looks like we have a pretty good eight-game slate. That's that's like what I think is the ideal number of games for an NBA slate. So first game, we have the Detroit Pistons at the Washington Wizards. From the Pistons side of the game, let's see, what do we have for pricing? Uh, Andre Drummond, 8,800. Tobias Harris. This looks like a lot of fair pricing to me. I don't really think there's any good value on Detroit side of the game. And then from Washington, I still think that Bradley Beal is fine. He's at 7,900. It's a bit of a tough matchup. The Pistons have been really good defending wings, and this is also a down pace matchup. But I still think Beal's in play, really high usage rating without Wall this year. The last couple games for Beal have not been good. One was just a dud where he didn't have a good game. And then last game, uh, he had an injury. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it forced him to miss almost the entire game. He came out in the second quarter, uh, or the end of the first quarter, and didn't come back until the second half. And then it was kind of a blowout, and he didn't play much. Do you remember what the injury was, Matt? Yeah, I think it was a cut on his face. Um, So he only played 23 minutes in that game. And the Wizards were getting blown out in the second half. They ended up only losing by five, but they were down, I think, over 20 at one point in the second half. So his minutes were down for both of those reasons. And then he was bad the game before against Minnesota on the road. He just had an off-shooting game. So he's had two bad games in a row. I definitely agree with you on Beal. Without Wall being there, the usage is still really high. And he could be pretty low-owned in GPPs because he, he hasn't had a big fantasy game in a couple of games now. Yeah, uh, overall, not really a terrific game to target just because of what I expect will be low pace. Uh, next game we have the Warriors at the Magic. This should not be a low pace game. This should be very high pace. One thing we have to keep an eye on for the Warriors is that Klay Thompson is questionable with a sprained ankle. Just the way that the Warriors have kind of been resting guys and holding people out recently, and I would assume that Klay Thompson doesn't play. I could be wrong. This is just a guess. Uh, but they've given Curry game, uh, game off. They've given Durant games off, obviously. Iguodala's gotten games off. Draymond had a game off. So just kind of based on that pattern, I think that it makes sense that Clay gets the night off. The big boost without Clay goes to Steph Curry. Steph Curry usage rating of 39% without Clay on the court. And nobody else really benefits a ton this year. It's just been going to Curry all those extra shots so far. From the Magic side of the game, uh, I don't think there's anybody as a standalone play that's an excellent value for their dollar, except I think it makes sense to maybe make a lineup where you go something like Curry and Draymond, and then maybe something like Alfred Payton and Aaron Gordon or Alfred Payton and Nikola Vucevic for like a mini game stack. I think that that would be the best way to get exposure to the magic side of the game. And then I'm, I'm always a proponent for those, uh, for those little game stacks. So I actually think that 39% usage for Curry when Thompson is off the court might actually undersell what his usage could be for this game. Because if Thompson is sitting on the bench in the normal flow of a normal game where everyone's healthy, then Curry's going to be on the court with Durant a fair amount. But if we know going in, or if the Warriors know going into the game that Thompson's not going to play at all if he's been ruled out, then they're going to be changing up the rotation most likely, and Curry and Durant will spend even less time on the court together so it could mean a usage in the 40s for Curry, and then it might be an increased usage for Durant too because he's playing less time on the court with Steph Curry. Um, so I think you could game stack with either or. There's probably some negative correlation between Curry and Durant now that they're kind of going to be separated a bit, if that makes sense. But I I do prefer Curry. I just I don't think Durant's unusable, but I wouldn't I wouldn't really stack the game and use both of them together. Do you th- do you agree with that or? 
are you comfortable putting them in the same lineup? Because I guess they're both expensive also. I actually I actually prefer them if they're in the lineup less together because that's just more shots available at any given time for each of them. Like, if they're both on the court, only one of them can shoot at a time. But if the minutes are a little bit more staggered, then it's I think it would be more shots for both of them. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a better spot for both of them, but it reduces the amount that they're correlated. Like, I would say there's almost no or even negative correlation between them but it's a it's a boost in the matchup for both of them if Thompson's not playing. Yeah, I think I think it helps both of them. I wouldn't have an issue using both of them in a lineup together, especially assuming that Clay Thompson's out. Uh, next game on the slate is the Indiana Pacers at the Toronto Raptors. There's one potentially really strong value play here. Uh, Miles Turner is questionable with a knee injury. If he can't play, Demontis Sabonis would draw the start. Sabonis was really good starting earlier in the year. I'm going to bring up his numbers really quick as a starter. He's at 5,300 on DraftKings. And as a starter, he started eight games, scored about 33 fantasy points per night, 13 points, 11 rebounds, three assists per game. He looked really good. And if he's going to start in place of Turner 5,300, he's going to be like the chalk play on the slate, but for good reason. I think he'd be a really, really strong play, and I would want to have a lot of exposure to him. And there would also be a slight usage boost to Victor Oladipo. He's at 8,000, but he's been really good this year. I don't, don't have an issue rostering Oladipo at 8,000. If Turner's out from the Toronto side of the game, let's see, what is the pricing on Kyle, Lowry, and DeMar DeRozan? 8,100 for Lowry, 7,900 for DeRozan. Uh, the front court situation, Ibaka, Valanciunas, Siakam, all these guys have just kind of been splitting minutes lately. So I don't really think there's a ton of upside in any of them. Lowry, DeRozan, I think you could use either or. Both are good cash game plays. And then you could use one of them in a GPP. I wouldn't use both of them together. I would lean more towards Lowry than DeRozan. It's a, it's a slightly stronger matchup for the what the Pacers' defense has been this season. Do you think this is kind of a downgrade to the Raptors' scoring potential overall if Turner doesn't play because with Sabonis in the game, it figures to be a slower-paced game, or is that not really a concern? No, Turner's a very good defender, and Sabonis is not a good defender. So I would look at it that I would look at it that way. So it it's just a boost to I guess the major factor is that the Raptors are a lot more likely to win because uh, Turner's defense I guess is offset by a change in pace maybe for fantasy purposes. But the Raptors, well, I don't I don't think it's a change in pace though. Yeah, I guess I guess it's just you look at the athleticism of the two players, and it just sort of makes logical sense that it would be. But I guess that doesn't necessarily mean that is what's going to happen. Um, I do know though that the over unders in games where Turner has sat has actually dropped. Uh, that's been the case in every Pacers game where Turner was kind of a game time decision or questionable or whatever, ended up not playing. The effect of that was that the over under was lowered in every one of those games, and I think there have been some pretty low scoring games in those scenarios. So I, maybe they're just worse offensively because Turner is really good. Maybe it is a lower pace. I'm not sure exactly what the reason is. But it seems like it would be a big downgrade to the Pacers team as a whole, but with cheaper players getting better usage, I guess it, it doesn't really matter that much. It just uh, it definitely makes the Raptors more likely to have a blowout win. So I think there's some blowout risk. The line's moved from minus 6 to minus 7 already with the speculation that Turner might not play. The line can move even a few points more if uh, Turner ends up sitting. So there is some blowout potential here. I actually think the Pacers without Turner are more likely to get blown out than the Magic are at home against the Warriors, but it's kind of close. So there's uh, there's some risk in a blowout for both of those games. 
Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's uh, there's more risk with the blowout in the Warriors game than Toronto game, just because the Warriors are so good. And there's some games where they just show up and they literally just smash teams right out of the gate. The Warriors play, I would assume the Warriors, well, just because they're the best team in the league, they have more wins by 20 or 30 plus points than any other team in the league. So just because of how good they are, I think there's more blowout risk yeah. in that game. And then also Warriors 11-point favorites versus the 7-point favorites for the well, Raptors. Yeah, I guess my point is that I do think that the line of minus 11 for Golden State is a little bit inflated. Maybe the fair line is 10, maybe it's around 9, because the Warriors are usually favored by a little bit too much in their road games. And if Miles Turner doesn't play, then the Raptors could be 9 or 10-point favorites also. So we could see the point spreads being about the same by the time these games start if Miles Turner is inactive. All right, so next game we have the Minnesota Timberwolves at the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, for the Timberwolves, we're kind of in a waiting pattern again. Jeff Teague, questionable again. Nemanja Bielitsa is questionable again. Bielitsa doesn't matter at all. That is no impact. But if and if uh, if Jeff Teague is out, then Tyrus, Tyus Jones, once again, a really strong play. Tyus Jones in the four games without Teague this year, uh, 32 fantasy points, 43, 30.5, 38.5. And he's still priced at just uh, 4,700. So Tyus Jones would be a really strong value play if Teague's out against starting a point guard. There would also be more usage for Jimmy Butler. The last few games, Butler, what of his fantasy points have always been? He scored over 30 fantasy points in every game, also 31, 45, 45, and 30. So I think that he would be a fine play at 7,300. And then from the Oklahoma City side of the game, uh, Russell Westbrook, definitely in play. I don't know exactly what it is, what happened to Westbrook had such a turn from playing really, really poorly to playing just ridiculous fantasy games. Uh, but he's been over 60 pretty consistently now the last few games. Uh, actually, five games in a row over 60 fantasy points after he went like 13 games in a row without scoring over 60. So Russell Westbrook is a fine play. Uh, Carmelo Anthony at 6,700 I think is mildly interesting. He's been uh, – maybe not actually. He hasn't been all that great this year. So I, I'd say Westbrook definitely the strongest play on the Thunder. Yeah, I'm not really interested in Melo. Definitely not Paul George. I think it's a tough matchup for most of the Wolves too. Tyus Jones is just too cheap if he ends up starting. Um how big of a boost is it to Westbrook if Teague doesn't play? Because it seems like Tyus Jones would be worse defensively than Teague, giving Westbrook a much better matchup. Uh, sorry, can you repeat that? You cut out for a sec. Yeah, uh, the question was, I, I was wondering if you think it's a much better matchup for Westbrook if Teague isn't playing and Tyus Jones is the one that has to guard him. Well, let's see. Uh, I'm going to look at the... I'm, I'm going to look at just how they've done defending point guards over the last uh, week and a half that that uh, Teague's been out. The other thing to keep in mind also is that the Timberwolves have been a terrible defense all season. Yeah, it, it, I guess it, it, it's not like Teague has been that good defensively. Um, this game does have a fairly low over-under, but I guess that's just because of the way Oklahoma City plays, not really because of the way Minnesota plays. So Westbrook consistently produces a lot of fantasy points, even in games with low totals, just because, well, at least recently, he's been such a huge part of their offense, and he's taken on a bigger role. It seems like he's playing more minutes. So it's not really a big deal, but it's kind of a slower pace game compared to some other games that we've already talked about, although it's substantially faster than a couple of the games we're about to get to. Yeah, uh, so just looking at the numbers really quick, it hasn't really made a difference. They've been 
the last couple weeks, they've been a slightly positive matchup for point guards, which has been the case all season against the Timberwolves this year. So I think that uh, Russell Westbrook, not really, it doesn't really make a difference to me whether Teague is in or out. And the other thing also is that Westbrook is fairly matchup proof anyway. Like, I think that somebody as good as Westbrook, who's defending him really doesn't make too much of a difference. Like, what stops Russell Westbrook is Russell Westbrook and just stupid plays and poor shot selection most of the time. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, he he's kind of he kind of determines his own destiny, I guess, if that's the right word to use here. He uh, he takes contested shots against whoever is guarding him. So I I do sort of agree with you that he's matchup proof, but the pace of the game should matter a little. I don't really think though that the difference between Teague and Ty Jones matters that much. All right. So next game we have the Kings at the Bulls. Oh, is this just a shit game? In terms of in terms of just not watchable basketball games, this is so high up the ladder. So uh, the Kings. Uh, let me see what like Willie Cauley Stein. I think has been playing relatively consistent minutes lately. Let me let me check on that. Yeah, I think you're right. He's uh, he had a huge game against the Warriors in the game where the Kings won on the road, and I think he played 30 plus minutes in the next game too against uh, Milwaukee in a game where they were blown uh, out. He only played 24 minutes that game against Milwaukee, but they also lost by 25. Right. He, so. uh, I think he would have had another few minutes at least because I'm pretty sure I was watching that game and he came out with like six or seven minutes left. Yeah, so, I mean, Willie Cauley-Stein, the other thing also, he's up to 5,400. Uh, I mean, I, I guess he's in play. Like, if you have to roster a king, like, I guess Willie Cauley-Stein would be the guy just because he's the one playing the most consistent minutes lately, even if they're not, like, uber consistent. Well, Darren the, Fox is substantially cheaper, and his minutes are sort of in the same range as Cauley Stein. He's been playing about 25 minutes a game. But he was... Darren Fox had a few games above that um, before the last two. He didn't play that much against Golden State, but George Hill actually had a really good game. So I think they just left Hill in longer, and then that Bucks game was a blowout. So if you go back past that, Darren Fox has a game with 29 minutes, 23, 32, 28, 27. He's been playing sort of consistent minutes, and he's only at 4,400. That's probably the guy that I roster from the Kings, but I don't I don't really feel comfortable with anyone, as we always say. The Kings are very hard to roster players from, but they are facing a pretty bad Bulls team, so maybe someone ends up producing. I think Fox or Cauley Stein are okay. Yeah, and then from the Bulls, at least from the Bulls, we know he's going to play minutes. We know Markin's going to play in minutes. We know Chris Dunn's going to play minutes. We know Denzel Valentine's going to play minutes. The issue is that none of these guys have been particularly great this year. Markin, I think, is probably the best player on the team, except the fantasy upside for him has not really been there on the whole this year. If I had to roster a Bulls player, it would be uh, Markin, and I think that he is a decent play uh, for tonight. But still, I mean, you look at his recent games, 11 fantasy points, 26, 30, 29, and 33 tonight against the Nuggets. So I just kind of question, like, what is the upside for Markinen in such a slow-paced game? Yeah, I think it, he's sort of a safe play because he's the one guy in the Bulls who plays reliable minutes, and there's not really any blowout risk in this game, partly because it's going to be so low scoring that there's not really a chance for one team to get out to a huge lead by making a lot of shots. This is the lowest total game Actually, there's one more that's about the same, but it's a very low total at 193. Uh, I don't know. is safe, but yeah, there's not a lot of upside with him. He hasn't really had that many big games this year. All right, so 
Next game, oh, this is going to be another really low-scoring game. San Antonio Spurs, the Memphis Grizzlies. From the Spurs, like, Marcus Aldridge has just been ridiculous this year without uh, without Kawhi active. But the issue is now all the way up to 8,500 in such a slow matchup. I, I don't really think I want to roster him. And then from the Memphis side of the game, we have Mario Chalmers is questionable again. Um, and then who else? Uh, Chandler Parsons questionable. Brandon Wright's questionable. So if Chalmers isn't able to play, uh, Tyreek Evans started a point guard last game at 6,800. I think that Tyreek Evans, Marcus Gasol, and Jamichael Green are all okay plays if Chalmers is out. Uh, especially Tyreek Evans at 6,800 at point guard. But overall, still not really a great game to target just because of how slow pace it's expected to be. Yeah, I agree with you. There were some decent fantasy games from cheap guys uh, on Memphis in the last game where they just played the Spurs the other night. And if Chalmers and Parsons end up sitting again, then it probably is worth targeting those cheap guys. But this is probably the least stackable game of any game on the slate outside of that Bulls-Kings game. It's just, it's pretty easy to avoid it. All right, so next game is the Charlotte Hornets at the Miami Heat. So from Charlotte, it's really hard to make an opinion right now. Like a lot of these games, we have unknown injury news. Jeremy Lamb questionable, Kemba Walker questionable. If Kemba Walker is going to sit, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, I mean not Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, Michael Carter-Williams at 4,400 would start at point guard again. Uh, He had, I think it was one and a half fantasy points at the half of last game against Toronto and then still finished hitting value. He scored over 20 fantasy points in the second half. So Carter Williams would be a fine play if Kemba Walker's out again. And then if Jeremy Lamb's out, uh, I think Batum is just going to be forced to play a lot of minutes. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist would pick up some minutes. Uh, We just kind of have to play the waiting game to see who's in or who's out. From the Miami side of the game, Hassan Whiteside has been ruled out. He's expected to miss at least the next week or so. So we're going to see another start from Bam Adebayo. He played 31 minutes against the Knicks. Didn't really do a ton. Nine points, five rebounds, two blocks. But still 4,100. If he's going to play over 30 minutes, I think that's a pretty decent play. Also, his last start prior to this one was the game against Minnesota. He played 31 minutes and he scored over 30 fantasy points. So I think Adebayo is a good value play for tomorrow. And then uh, Kelly Olenek at 4,400. He's risky, except there is upside there. His minutes have been all over the place without Whiteside. We've seen him play as little as 11 minutes and as many as over 30. So Kelly Olenek, I think, is a decent GPP play as well. So without Whiteside, I think it's a pretty big boost to the Hornets as a whole. Um, The betting line movement when Whiteside was ruled out of the Knicks game the other night the Knicks were two-point underdogs at the time when Whiteside was supposed to play with a total at 201. And then the line moved from 201 to 207, and the Knicks flipped from plus two to minus two. So it was four points worse for Miami and six more total points in the game. So add one point to the Heat and five points to the Knicks. That's the effect that Whiteside was predicted to have, and then it actually played out as substantially more significant than that. The Knicks didn't have Kristaps Porzingis, and they still won the game by a ton. I think they scored close to 120 points in the game. It's definitely true that the Heat are much worse at protecting the rim without Whiteside, and they're probably going to play more small ball also. So even if Whiteside's a bad defender against bigs that can shoot, Dwight Howard is probably one of the better players for Whiteside to match up with because Howard does not shoot at all. He's going to be right around the rim all the time. And without Whiteside there, I actually think Dwight Howard is a pretty good play at 7,500. 
for the rest of the Hornets, though, we are going to have to see the injury news with Kemba Walker and Jeremy Lamb. But I think Dwight Howard makes sense either way. And then I just agree with you on the guys with the Heat. But maybe I'm even a little bit higher than them because this game should be a little bit more up-tempo without Whiteside there. No, I would uh, I would agree with that. Um, the last game on the slate, New Orleans Pelicans at the Utah Jazz. So from New Orleans' side of the game, let's see, what is... Rondo priced at now. So Rondo is now at 4,700. What have his minutes been? He's played. They really, even though he's unrestricted, he's really not playing as many minutes as I thought he was. Like I thought they would just be giving him like over 30 minutes a night, and they just haven't. It's not because I think Rondo's good, as I've made very clear over the last few days, but just teams that tend to sign Rondo and play him, they do it because they think that he's good. So I would, I thought that we would see more minutes from him, but it hasn't been the case. Last few games, 22 minutes, 24, 26, 27. So Rondo, I would say there's some upside in him at 4,700, but not necessarily a terrific play. DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis definitely both in play at their respective price tags. And then moving over to the Utah side of the game, I think it's going to be a little interesting to see what Utah does with their rotation going forward. So Alec Burks is all the way down to 3,600. He's playing really, really well tonight in the middle of the game. Uh, I kind of think that this game, Utah's going to have to play bigger lineups. So I think that there's a pretty good chance that Ekpe Udo ends up starting. Uh, they could also go with Favors and Jerebko, but that would just be a disaster. Jonas Jerebko guarding Anthony Davis. I'm not saying that Ekpe Udo guarding uh, Boogie and then Favors guarding Davis is by any means a great situation for Utah, but I, I just don't know what they're going to do with their lineup to match up with the Pelicans. But you just figure they have to they have to do whatever they can to get bigger bodies on the court. So after hearing all of that, uh, I feel even more confident that this is an incredibly strong matchup for Davis and Cousins. Without Rudy Gobert, it's tough for the Jazz to play well against any big men, but Davis and Cousins are two of the best in the league. It might be the most difficult team that the Jazz could possibly match up against at this point without Gobert playing. So those are probably my two favorite guys to pay up for. And then the other guy on the Jazz that sort of impacts the rotation if he's not playing, Rodney Hood. I'm not sure if he's been ruled out yet. He's at least questionable. So that's another guy Utah won't have. Um, I guess it makes it harder for them to play small ball without him because they just have less wings. So maybe that makes them more likely to start Udo. And then maybe they just start Udo because they feel they need to against the big men that the Pelicans have. But either way, it's definitely a good spot for New Orleans, and we'll kind of just have to see who starts for Utah. But if Hood's not playing, Joe Ingles seems like the guy who gets the biggest boost. He's only at 4,900. He's going to be starting and probably a lot more minutes without Hood there, more usage. So Ingles is probably my favorite player on the Jazz, and then I guess it could it could be some other guys if we get uh, news on who's starting for them. Yeah, so in terms of just on-off-court numbers, the biggest boost so far this year has actually gone to Ricky Rubio without Rodney Hood. Uh, let me let me see, because I'm just going off the top of my head from looking at tonight's games. Uh, the issue with Rubio, well, his biggest issue has just been that he hasn't gotten consistent playing time. And he has much more minute security when Rodney Hood isn't on the court. So I think one of the things with Rubio that helps out is not only does he get more minutes... I'm, uh, well, it's not only does he get the uh, point-per-minute boost in terms of fantasy output, but we could also count on him for more minutes. Yeah, that makes sense. And he's been priced down substantially from where he was earlier in the season because his minutes have kind of gone down. He's had 
some bad games, but he is playing well against the Clippers uh, there in the third quarter as we're recording this, and it does seem like his minutes are up without Rodney Hood, so it's not just that he's getting more usage. Yeah, he's also probably going to get more minutes. It is a little concerning. It's going to be the second game of a back-to-back, and Rubio has dealt with some injuries this year. So, I don't know. There is minutes security because of what you said, but I do worry about the minutes on the second game of a back-to-back. Um, Ingles seems safer to me, but I do like Rubio also. Yeah, I think, so just looking at the points per minute with Hood on off the court, uh, Ricky Rubio and Donovan Mitchell are the two biggest gainers, both of them about a, a tenth of a fantasy point more per minute with Hood off the floor. And even though it doesn't seem significant, over 36 minutes, that's like three to four extra fantasy points for somebody. That's a decent amount of extra value built into somebody's price tag. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. I won't disagree with the idea that uh, a tenth of a point per minute matters. Uh, I, I'm certainly there with you. All right, so that is going to finish up today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GAaronBirdDFS, and Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. We'll be back tomorrow.